Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. The iCritical Care Podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, guest podcast editor for pediatrics. Dr. Parker is director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email info at sccm.org. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. Today is Sunday, February 18th, 2007. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. In our podcast today, we will be speaking with Jerry Zimmerman, MD, PhD, FCCM, about an article published in the January 2007 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine titled, Adrenal Status in Children with Septic Shock Using Low-Dose Stimulation Test. Dr. Zimmerman is Director of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine at Seattle Children's Hospital in Seattle, Washington, and we are happy to have him here with us today. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Zimmerman. Thank you for inviting me. Dr. Zimmerman, the question of a relative adrenal insufficiency in patients with septic shock has received a great deal of interest in the past few years. Would you tell us what is meant by relative adrenal insufficiency or inadequate adrenal reserve? Are they the same thing? Well, it's good to put this in context. I think, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, it's probably a good idea to start with uh, the term absolute adrenal insufficiency because that has also crept into the literature. And at least uh, uh, the way I see it, uh, the early work of uh, 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 Wilkins and Lawson in the 50s when they were working with uh, children with congenital adrenal hyperplasia uh, these uh, inve- very early investigators found that uh, cortisol, circulating cortisol uh, levels less than about four or five uh, were found in these kids who just uh, fell apart because of their lack of adrenal production of uh, cortisol. So more recently, um, this uh, term uh, relative adrenal insufficiency has uh, come into uh, the vocabulary Uh, meaning, uh, uh, in general, that the uh, body does not generate an adequate uh, cortisol response in relation to the amount of stress that it uh, is involved with. So, for example, sitting here right now, our our circulating cortisol level is probably about 10 micrograms per deciliter. And if if we were in some study and someone was going to inject some endotoxin into us, and that has been done, uh, in a couple hours, uh, uh, our uh, circulating cortisol level, or even sooner than that, would go up to 20 or 30 or 40. Uh, uh, Patients with uh, severe uh, stress, such as uh, severe sepsis or trauma, uh, can bump their cortisol levels up uh, to 50 or 60 or even higher micrograms per deciliter. So um, uh, if you were somebody who was sick and uh, your circulating cortisol level was still low, and people argue about what's low, 
That would be called uh, relative uh, adrenal uh, insufficiency. So people argue about whether that cutoff should be at uh, 15, 18, 20, 25. Uh, I think uh, uh, the uh, way people are looking at this in pediatrics right now, uh, uh, at least most people, maybe not a majority, would maybe consider 18 as a cutoff level. And then there's the term of uh, inadequate adrenal reserve, and this is really uh, looking at what endocrinologists uh, uh, do when they conduct an uh, adrenal uh, stimulation test with uh, exogenous uh, corticotropin. So the idea here is you draw a, uh, a, a serum level of uh, cortisol, you administer the patient uh, uh, cosentropin or corticotropin, which is basically ACTH, you wait for 30 minutes and 60 minutes to draw additional blood levels, and you look for a change from this stimulus. Uh, and uh, traditionally, uh, uh, a value less than 9, a delta value less than 9, is considered to be uh, inadequate or to demonstrate uh, inadequate adrenal uh, reserve. And uh, the work, uh, particularly by Anand uh, in France, uh, is, uh, is his group uh, has really contributed a huge amount of uh, uh, data, and uh, uh, his uh, earliest work has found that this uh, lack of ability to bump up your circulating cortisol after a cosentropin uh, uh, bolus less than 9 is a... Uh, a bad omen uh, for outcome. How often do children with septic shock have an assessment of adrenal function, either by serum cortisol or a stimulation test? What is your experience with testing adrenal function in children with sepsis, and how do we use the results of these tests to decide who should get steroid replacement therapy? I think the short answer to that is, uh, and I think Barry Markovitz once said this, uh, no, it was Randall Wetzel, that uh, every, uh, every pediatric critical care uh, physician believes that the way they behave constitutes best practice. It's all over the board. I think uh, there have been uh, uh, surveys, uh, kind of surveys, studies. Uh, uh, I performed one in the United States. Uh, there's been one... Uh, uh, performed in Canada and one in uh, Britain, which basically uh, demonstrates that uh, practice is completely, uh, there's a complete spectrum of uh, practice. But to answer your question, I think in each of these studies, uh, at least uh, 50, if not 60 or 70 percent of uh, respondents indicated that they would just treat the patient uh, if they believed they needed cortisol based on no testing at all. So I would say in, in general practice, uh, when push comes to shove and the patient is falling apart and you're looking what to do next and uh, uh, the fluid resuscitation is ongoing and you're turning up the uh, vasoactive inotropic drips, uh, more often than not, uh, adjunctive corticosteroids get started uh, without this testing. The other problem is uh, uh, turnaround time. Uh, so you might do the test in good faith. You might do the whole test, the basal level and the stimulated level, but you may not have the results on which to make uh, decisions. 
Some people have ad advocated uh, do the test, uh, start the start the uh, adjunctive cortisol, and if the results come back uh, not indicating a deficient state, then you would uh, stop them. Uh, uh, however, I think it's practice that if the patient is still falling apart, uh, even based on the results, uh, physicians are reluctant to withdraw this uh, drug. Don't confuse us with data. That's correct. Um, as you mentioned, there are different thresholds that have been proposed as defining adrenal insufficiency and inadequate adrenal reserve. Could you talk a little bit about um, how, what's an appropriate way to assess the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access? Okay, so this is really getting to the uh, intricacies of the adrenal stimulation test itself and uh, really relates to this uh, article that we are uh, discussing. Uh, so to do the, to do the test, uh, you would draw a, uh, a, a blood sample and then you would uh, administer uh, uh, basically ACTH, uh, corticotropin or cosyntropin. Uh, and uh, herein is the, uh, the rub. Should this uh, 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 be the traditional blast dose of ACTH, which for an adult is 250 micrograms or the equivalent dose in a child is 145 micrograms uh, per kilogram, basically the same thing, uh, or do you uh, utilize a much uh, lower dose? Uh, uh, in the article we're discussing, one microgram. So high versus low dose cosyntropin uh, stimulation test. The idea uh, of using a uh, much lower dose of, uh, of ACTH basically is that it may be more sensitive uh, in uh, identifying patients who have uh, uh, an adrenal gland that is relatively uh, insensitive to the effects of uh, uh, ACTH in, in, in terms of uh, stimulation. So that's the uh, idea. Um, uh, after you give the uh, exogenous ACTH, you wait and you draw one or two other uh, uh, blood samples uh, 30 minutes to 60 minutes following the uh, intravenous bolus of ACTH, and then you send the two or three uh, blood samples to the lab and you look for this uh, delta or this increase in cortisol uh, 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 concentration uh, that is due to the stimulus. And uh, people have argued about whether a change of seven or nine is important. Both tests have been used, but certainly a, a change of nine has been the most uh, the most popular. Uh, so, um, the the authors of this uh, uh, article uh, are really uh, trying, I think, to add uh, additional uh, uh, data, which would be useful for physicians in the intensive care unit to make rational decisions about who should get extra cortisol when they're sick uh, and uh, who shouldn't. Um, so when you look at their results, uh, it's uh, sort of uh, interesting uh, to compare their results, that is, by this uh, uh, group led by Dr. Uh, uh, Sarthi, uh, uh, with uh, previous studies, uh, one by uh, uh, Hatherhill from England and another one uh, by uh, Pizarro uh, 
in, from Brazil. These two latter groups used the uh, high-dose stimulation test, basically, uh, and identified uh, a, uh, an incidence of relative adrenal insufficiency or inadequate adrenal reserve, to be more precise, of about 50%. Uh, and uh, indeed, the uh, Sarthi uh, uh, article uh, uh, indicates that utilizing the uh, low-dose stimulation test uh, in their patient population, they found about the same uh, incidence of inadequate adrenal reserve, uh, about 50%. So it's surprising that at least uh, with historical uh, uh, studies, uh, uh, the, the lower lower-dose stimulation uh, did not seem to be more uh, sensitive in a group of uh, septic children. What have you done in your practice? Do you use the high dose, the low dose? Do you just give them steroids if they're uh, sick and deteriorating? How do you approach this? Well, uh, I certainly uh, would uh, encourage uh, people because there just is not definitive information. Uh, there, there's no consensus on this topic uh, in either adult uh, medicine or pediatrics. Uh, and, uh, Dr. Anand actually has just uh, uh, published an, uh, another important uh, article uh, at the end of 2006 which, in which he further defines this uh, cosentropin stimulation test. Uh, but in my own uh, practice, uh, um, uh, I, I first of all uh, want to make sure that uh, there is an indication for going ahead with steroids, and we can talk about that in a second uh, as a, an additional therapeutic option for somebody who's septic. But uh, I have used, for no good reason other than tradition, uh, the, hun the higher dose, uh, 145 micrograms per uh, uh, meter squared, and that is the uh, dose that Mark Hatherhill used uh, in his uh, study. Uh, and uh, I would look at two things. Uh, uh, I would, the basal level, I would look uh, uh, to see what the cortisol concentration was, and uh, so where do I draw my line, whether it's sufficient or not. Um, um, in construction of the uh, new pediatric uh, guidelines for treatment of septic shock, uh, there is a general consensus now that maybe that should be uh, 18. Uh, again, this is a best uh, expert opinion, uh, no data, but that's what you might use for the uh, uh, basal level on which to make your decision. And then uh, uh, give the ACTH, uh, do the test, uh, uh, wait for 45 minutes uh, to get a second blood sample, and then uh, 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 if that is greater than uh, a delta value of greater than 9, or some would say uh, if with the stimulation it is now uh, over 18, uh, that uh, uh, is indicative of an adequate uh, uh, response. And if all other things are not falling apart, then probably you would not uh, treat that patient uh, with uh, exogenous steroids. What about the implications of measuring total versus free cortisol? What is usually done and what does Well, our current it practice now it measures total cortisol, um, and uh, that's pretty uh, universal, uh, except in the uh, endocrinology literature. And if you read that over the last uh, few years, there is a consensus among endocrinologists that uh, 
just like thyroid hormone, uh, that we need to be measuring the free fraction, which is uh, a small amount of the total, probably something like 10% of the total. And uh, the free cortisol is going to be affected by many things, uh, uh, pH of the blood, uh, the amount of uh, proteins, uh, both specific uh, for cortisol and albumin as well. So hypoproteinemic states are very common in septic patients because of their capillary leak. There's a variety of things that will affect what fraction of the total is uh, uh, actually in the free uh, biologically active uh, form. And in fact, in an article in the New England Journal a few years ago from the Cleveland Clinic, uh, these investigators uh, uh, demonstrated that a significant uh, portion of people who would be uh, uh, tagged as adrenally insufficient, uh, about 40%, in fact, if you looked at free cortisol instead of total cortisol, uh, these patients were overdo or misdiagnosed with uh, adrenal uh, insufficiency. There's certainly not consensus on this topic either. And the reason that people aren't measuring free cortisol, because probably everybody would do that if they could easily, uh, is uh, it's especially problematic for kids. It takes a large volume of blood. Uh, right now it takes about 5 milliliters of blood, and you have to do this thing called equilibrium dialysis, uh, where you take uh, the plasma after uh, spinning out the red cells uh, and uh, basically dialyze it uh, to uh, uh, capture the free uh, cortisol apart from the protein. And it takes uh, days to do that, and so that's not very useful. However, there is a new uh, temperature-controlled uh, ultracentrifugal uh, ultrafiltration technique that can give you a free uh, uh, cortisol uh, uh, value uh, in uh, hours instead of uh, days. So it also requires much less blood, blood uh, about uh, uh, 400 microliters uh, uh, instead of uh, uh, four or five milliliters. So that may become uh, popular as we move along here because uh, people are uh, indicating that they think that, that this is what we should be looking at, that is free rather than total. Um, if inadequate adrenal function is diagnosed in a child with septic shock, how do you approach discontinuing steroid use? Do you stop the steroids when shock resolves? Do you wean the steroids over a period of time? What kind of approach do you use? Um, I think uh, that's also variable, but if you if you look at the uh, adult studies, uh, and this is pretty clear, uh, that uh, uh, typically uh, patients will get uh, treated uh, for about three days, and then a very rapid wean. Uh, the weaning is important uh, uh, because, uh, at least in one uh, really nice study, uh, abrupt discontinuation without any weaning uh, resulted in sort of rebound, both clinically and uh, biochemically, uh, the effects of, uh, uh, of the loss of, abrupt loss of the cortisol. But generally, three days of treatment, and uh, Anand has, uh, uh, in his studies, used uh, uh, 50 micrograms, um, 50 milligrams uh, dosed every six hours, an equivalent uh, continuous intravenous dose has also been uh, used. Uh, 
But generally, three days, uh, by that time, this uh, acute hemodynamic instability with all the escalation of inotropes is uh, over, and then a rapid wean uh, uh, over about two days. Uh, that works, and uh, people don't seem to have an adverse effect from that. What future studies need to be done um, on the use of steroids in kids with septic shock? Well, as you know, uh, the uh, adult European intensivist uh, wrapped up the uh, Corticus uh, trial uh, in September of last year, and the results of uh, that trial have been uh, reported uh, at uh, the European Society of Intensive Care uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, last uh, fall, but the results have not uh, been published yet. I, I believe they're due to be published in, in the Lancet. Um, but in pediatrics, we need to do our own studies. You can sit down with a piece of paper and write down about 20 or 25 reasons why kids might be different from uh, adults regardless of the, uh, uh, of the results of the Corticus trial. Uh, that being said, um, I personally have been trying to uh, organize a trial like this for about the last five years of my life, and there's uh, no hard feelings, but uh, there's, there's two major things that really stand in the way uh, of conducting a trial like this. One is there's, there's loss of uh, equipoise, I would say, in the majority of intensivists. Uh, most, most people uh, believe uh, that uh, uh, they would use uh, uh, this uh, adjunctive corticosteroids uh, 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 at the present state, regardless of uh, testing, for example. The other thing is we, in pediatric critical care, do not have a clinically meaningful outcome variable. So mortality is low. Uh, uh, overall, it's about 10% or maybe even less, based on a very recent study. And so to see a 20% improvement in that uh, with uh, whatever intervention is going to take a couple of thousand uh, kids in each arm of the study, and that's just not going to happen. So the current uh, thing that's going on are to look at measures of morbidity. And uh, there, there is uh, some uh, new data to indicate that there is significant morbidity in these kids that survive their sepsis. And so there are nice tools uh, uh, a variety of nice tools that are out there that we could use to measure morbidity and actually impact on the family of taking care of these kids for a prolonged period of time. And I think uh, these will allow us to use much smaller numbers in a clinical trial to actually uh, look at this question uh, in a fair uh, RCT. Thank you very much for speaking with us today, Dr. Zimmerman. Thanks for uh, asking my participation. You're very welcome. We have been speaking today with Dr. Jerry Zimmerman, Director of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine at Seattle Children's Hospital, about the article, Adrenal Status in Children with Septic Shock Using Low-Dose Stimulation Test, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in January 2007. This concludes our podcast. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, please call the Society of Critical Care Medicine's audio feedback line at 1-847-493-6498 to share your thoughts.
Pediatric Critical Care Medicine is the official journal of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, offering the latest information about critical care to healthcare professionals as well as continuing education credit. Members of the pediatric section receive PCCM as a member benefit. For more information, visit www.sccm.org. Thanks again for listening. As a general study rule, practitioners should start preparing intensively for their board exams at least one year in advance. Register today for the Society of Critical Care Medicine's Adult and Pediatric Multiprofessional Critical Care Review Courses to be held August 7th through 11th, 2007 in Chicago, Illinois, USA. As a registered participant of a review course, you'll receive a free study aid worth $175. In addition, you can enhance your board review by registering for one of two pre-courses, the ABIM Critical Care Self-Evaluation Process Module Review or the Rapid Response System Training. Build a solid foundation and further your study efforts with the only multi-professional association that focuses solely on critical care. Register today by visiting www.sccm.org or calling 1-847-827-6888.